Tech media's war on Trump is underway. There are already hearings planned for this on Capitol Hill. Hunter Biden's China connection comes to light. Is the real election interference from Twitter and Facebook? ACB hearings almost at the finish line and dueling town halls tonight. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I think I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Oh my, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you here with me. Thank you so much for joining. And who would have thought that we would be in the absolute height of the election season? Here we are. A few weeks, two and a half weeks away from Election Day for an election that it's impossible to convey in words how much people are putting on this, how much they're going to be either very upset or very happy. And we're not talking about the election that much. We're barely talking about an open Supreme Court seat, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg seat open up for a originalist, Amy Coney Barrett. Yeah, looks like that's going to get through. Looks like I mean, could change by the even by the end of the show could change. But as of now, looks like it's going to happen. You know what we're talking about instead? A Hunter Biden story that was going to be pretty big, but then the tech companies and the mainstream media decided to inject news cycle steroids right into its neck. I mean, just make it the Ivan Drago of of news stories, just juicing it up with everything they can by openly, actively suppressing it. Instead of just allowing people to say, well, hold on a second. Was there anything criminal here? Okay, looks like there was some lying i mean the usual cover-up stuff that you would expect from the media and and i want you to know this don't think of the news media as journalists especially in the election but this is true as a general principle think of them as pro bono lawyers working for the biden campaign and these are the kind of lawyers who are willing to suborn perjury hide evidence eliminate a witness whatever That's what the journos really are. So just get out of your head that this, oh, they're trying to bring us the truth. Obviously not. In fact, one of the most apparent ways that journos hypocrisy is exposed is that the core principles of their profession, transparency, accountability, giving the information to the public and letting them decide, they have completely turned on those. They are anti Transparency. Journalists now will complain about incredibly newsworthy leaks if it hurts their preferred candidate. They'll say, whoa, whoa, we can't have a part of this. So you had the journos and you had big tech, both of them showing everybody what they're really about here. Both of them showing the American people that you can't trust them at all, at all, especially right now. This is this is bringing together all of the worst habits, all the worst inclinations of the news media. Let's just do a quick review of what happened yesterday, and I'll bring you up to speed with where we are right now at this moment, because it just keeps growing and getting worse. Every time the journos and the big tech companies, in this case, 
Well, I'll refer to tech broadly or big tech broadly, but we'll be talking mostly about Facebook and Twitter, which are more powerful individually and certainly together than any news network, any newspaper. And I would argue all the news networks and all the newspapers in this country put together. On the left, at least, because they don't have talk radio. Uh, But what we've seen at every phase is when they could have thrown water on the fire. Or when they could have done some very basic things to take losses. No question. This was going to be bad for them. This story about Hunter Biden doing exactly what we all thought he was doing a year and change ago when this first this first came out about Hunter and Burisma and the stuff about China. I'm willing to bet the China stuff might be even worse the more we find out about this. And I'll tell you this right now. I called some friends yesterday in D.C. who were close to the story. And I talked to them, and they said, there's a lot more coming. And they're claiming that it's a lot worse. <laughs> they're claiming that it's going to be even more. Which, if you're, if you're really running an oppo campaign against somebody, that's the classic tactic. That's the way to do it. You want to have a, a, a steady drip, but also the droplets getting bigger. You know, Once you've already established the basic narrative, you want to build to the the ultimate conclusion that the Biden crime family is just like the Clinton crime family, another establishment Democrat uh, group that use personal connections to enrich themselves through cronyistic and corrupt mechanisms while pretending that they care about the American people. They're just doing it for the common folk. You know, Hillary was just doing it for women's empowerment. You know, all this stuff that you would hear or combating climate change. It's all all nonsense. It's virtue signaling, not just because virtue signaling makes people feel good, but also used as a shield. If you adopt those ideas, if you adopt those slogans, you create a barrier from criticism from the other side because you're on the good team. So if you're enriching yourself, if you're you have your little piggy snout in the trough of corrupt dollars. Guess what? As long as you hold the appropriate left wing Democrat positions, you give yourself something of a shield. You give yourself some degree of invulnerability. We see this in all the different professions. This is true in in so many ways. But here's here's the way the Hunter Biden thing has gone from because remember, it's really confirmation of what we knew. So the damage here is it's always worse when you have proof instead of just instead of circumstantial evidence. We've got pretty much the smoking gun now. The Biden campaign, and and this is about a Russian, I'm sorry, a Ukrainian businessman connected to Burisma thanking Hunter for brokering a meeting with his dad. And now keep in mind, even if that meeting didn't happen, that is the quid pro quo then. So so we do understand exactly why the whole scheme of Hunter being on the board of Burisma was meant to open up access to his dad. And even if that access does not come to fruition, you know, if, if I'm if I'm somebody who is part of a corrupt scheme, you know, give me give me a million dollars and I'll talk to the state gaming commission about helping your casino get situated where you want it to. And I'm taking that money and I'm and I'm passing it along, even if I don't get your casino in the right place, even if it doesn't come together, I'm still part of a corrupt scheme. Right? I'm still part of a of an illegal conspiracy, a bribery conspiracy. You know, even if you take the money, I'm going to set up the meeting for you. And, you know, you get these people. It doesn't matter if it, if it ends up happening. So 
Very important. Very important that you you understand that we all understand what the implications are of what is known already and that there's more information coming out. So it's a it's a bad story. But I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't think this kills the chances of Biden winning on its own. Not at all. I speak the truth to you the same way. Oh, yeah. Who's waiting? Do do we have our do we have our our, our watches attuned to when the Durham report's going to come out? I'm pretty sure your humble radio host uh, right here has been telling you. I mean, I don't even know how long from the beginning of the Durham report. I wouldn't count on anybody getting. What do I always say? They're not going to get frog marched in handcuffs out of buildings anywhere. You're not. It's not going to happen. Nothing. Don't expect that. The government bureaucracy is set up so that as long as you have friends within the bureaucracy, you're never really going to get in trouble. That's the way that it is. So I told you the truth on that. You're also not going to see uh, right now a huge drop in the polls because of the Hunter Biden story. I don't see it. If I'm wrong, I'll tell you, I don't see it. But what you have seen is both a massive surge in interest, honestly, in anger, outrage, uh, and and a preview of the future conflict that we're going to have on the right over tech suppression of information. So they took this story that was bad and now they have it has been magnified several times over. And everyone needs to understand, because I know that I have friends who are conservatives who aren't on Facebook, who think Twitter is a waste of time. Okay, but that's that doesn't change the fact that these tech companies are enormously influential, uh, have a tremendous they're basically giant, especially Facebook is a giant ATM machine. And not only do they determine what information gets shared, how much it gets shared, who sees it. But also they're able to shut down other because they control so much. Google, Facebook, uh, Google and Facebook are the ones I'm really thinking of. They control so much of advertising that they can shut down other sites. So even if you're running a conservative news site and you're saying, fine, I I don't uh, I don't care if Twitter's going to shut down, which you should care. We'll get into that. They're going to shut down the sharing of this Hunter Biden story. Uh, I'm going to do my own thing at, you know. Bucks Freedom Hut Forever dot net or something. Sounds like a good site to me. And you're going to run ads off of that because you need to pay writers and it needs to be a business, right? I mean, a blog that's by itself, you're not going to get that many readers if it's just just one person usually. Uh, And they can shut down your advertising. And they do. Sorry, not going to give you the advertising you need. Well, now you're done. So their influence is far beyond even what you've had in the past. And they're seeing an opportunity. And this is the this is really the the critical. This is the crux of the issue. The left with big tech sees an opportunity to return to what we had in the 80s, you know, in the early 80s, let's say when and and clearly before. But I have some recollection of the 80s. I was alive during it uh, and and know it a little bit better than even the news landscape in the 70s and the 60s, uh, where the left had effectively total dominance of the airwaves. With, with a few exceptions, as always, but overwhelming dominance of all the broadcast news stations, uh, the major newspapers. Now, the New York Times, the Washington Post weren't as far left then as they have become. That's for sure. But and, and they did allow conservative, real conservative opinion in their editorial pages. That has now changed. But they got ultimately they were in charge. 
You had to go through them. They were the gatekeepers and they were able to mold and push the conversation. Now, because of the Internet, that has that is no longer the case uh, the way that it used to be. But if you control the Internet gatekeepers, ah, then we revert back to left wing information dominance. It'd be like if we were in a in a battle space and they've got all all planes in the sky belong to the other side. They dominate that airspace. That's what they want here once again. And they can achieve it using big tech. They can they can choke off news organizations they don't like. They've already done this. There are whole entities devoted to picking out and they're they're scummy people that work at them, but entities that exist merely to point out conservatives that should be in classic Alinsky, Saul Alinsky fashion, frozen and destroyed. Separate them, freeze them, destroy them. That's the whole the whole plan. Uh, so there are entities that do that, that leverage the control that big tech has to silence conservative voices. And also over time, they can just shut down more and more of your advertising. And in an immediate sense, in an election, what we're seeing right now, they can take a story that should be at an 11 on the dial and make it a three or a two. Some people see it. It's out there, but not many people see it. Most folks read a news story and they want to send it to their friends. You know where they're seeing it? Facebook. You know how they're sharing it? Facebook. So there are two methods that they cheat the system here. And the public isn't even really the wiser most of the time. One is that they'll just say this violates some community standard. And most people say, oh, I don't know, maybe there's some problem. I don't know. And they just go go on with their day or they shadow ban them. Oh, you, you shared it, but no one's seeing it. The left has been claiming for years, as we've seen this, that this is a conservative conspiracy. They've been lying to you. I've been telling you they're lying to you. And now we have all the proof we could ever need. The big tech companies, these media, these media and online giants are firmly in the DNC camp. They will do whatever they have to do while still maintaining their business model at some level to help Joe Biden win the election. And they have created a firestorm where conservatives may finally and I know there's a lot of tough talk around this and no action, so I'm aware of that. But conservatives will go one of two directions, demand one of two things, or maybe both. Government regulation. Or finally build some competitors for these things and and stop with this game that they play of we're just platforms. We don't pick and choose favorites in politics. That's a lie. And it is a lie that is so big and so powerful that it could, in fact, change the course of this election. So we need to take action right now. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. It's out of control. And it's like a third arm, maybe a first arm of the DNC. Twitter and Facebook they're all they're like they're like uh, really it's it's a massive campaign contribution. It, this is a third arm of the DNC, the radical left movement. So you got to understand this. You got to understand this, folks. Trump sees this for what it is. Trump understands that we have this this landscape, this this media landscape 
where there are all kinds of regulations and things out there for some companies and the left under Citizens United. And this was the position of the Obama administration solicitor general in favor of the you know, Citizens United rule that was overturned by the Supreme Court. They wanted to be able to ban books before an election. They want to they want to arbitrarily enforce who gets equal time. Regular. There's no equal time on Facebook, right? There's no equal time on Twitter. There's no campaign contribution issues. They just do whatever they want. Think about the advantage that that creates. And it creates it for one side. Name a concern. Name a major conservative leaning or even free speech first social media platform. It does not exist or even Silicon Valley company of any kind doesn't exist. I know there are some startups and I use them and I'm a part of them that are trying to compete, but they're early stage friends. Let's not delude ourselves. They're just getting up and running. I want to help them. I want to help Parler. I want to help Rumble. I want to be a part of that growth, but they're not in the same position of dominance, obviously, that we have with these tech giants. So once again, there it's it's a little bit like the conservative mantra on free trade for so long was I'm a free trader. Don't do anything about China. It's about free trade. And this is what the think tankers and the crony capitalists at the Chamber of Commerce. And I'll be honest, and I've, I have in the past, too. you got to think more about what slogan some of us on the right have adopted. We're like, yeah, I'm free trade, free trade. It's a fun thing to say. In principle, it's true. But we weren't actually dealing with free trade. So when people say that we should just have no censorship with, with social media, let the marketplace of ideas speak for itself, and don't involve any government regulation, it's a little bit like the faulty free trade argument because there's already a ton of regulation. I can't say a lot of things on radio that sometimes I would like to say. I can't just go off and support certain candidates on local stations without doing equal time. There's all kinds of stuff out there. And we're going to pretend like social media should be free of all of that? Free of all of these restraints? Why? They've been getting away with this. They found a way to game the system. And if we don't stop them, they're going to game this election on behalf of the DNC. Trump is right. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And, and, by, and by the way, Mika, when, when there is a New York Post article that is false, um, it's much better for Twitter to let people read the New York Post article and sit there and laugh at the hokey story of a computer uh, repairman looking at a computer going, this sure does look suspicious to me. I'm going to call Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> like, let that out, okay? <laughs> because people will read the story and then they'll go, this is really one of the stupidest October surprises I've ever seen before. What did he have, x-ray vision? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> I mean, Joe Scarborough is an embarrassment. I can't believe this guy used to consider himself to be on the right. It's not very smart. It's not very nice. It's not very ethical. None of those things. But now he does the little dance to have coins thrown at his feet by Democrats for Democrats. But he's the real conservative. I mean, this is this is really like a mental illness, but he's he's laughing about this this Hunter Biden story. What's funny about it exactly? What what does not add up? If these emails were fake, guess what the first thing is that would come out from the campaign everyone else? In fact, it would be a great trap, wouldn't it? Let the New York Post print this. Let them destroy their credibility. Do they really think that the Post didn't do any due diligence on this beforehand? 
I know they keep referring to it as a tabloid, but the New York Post has some great writers, and it has been around since 1801 when it was founded by Alexander Hamilton, the oldest continuously running newspaper in the country. So they can scoff and laugh at it all they want, but what's not true here? And let's also remember, not that I would ever put these two papers in the same category, but it was, in fact, the National Enquirer and the Libs have completely memory hold this. They never want to talk about this because it's so embarrassing. It was the National Enquirer that broke the very true and very real story of that slimeball John Edwards who only cheats on his cancer-stricken wife when she's in remission, folks. Those were his words. Yeah. Only while she was in remission. What a, what a sweetheart he is. Wife's dying of cancer. He's going out on the side. But, you know, he waited until there was a remission period. What a, what a good guy. Real, real ethical ambulance chaser he was. Uh, vice presidential candidate for the Democrats. A lot of people wanted him to be president on the Democrat side. Because those are the kinds of people the Democrats want to put forward. Bill Clinton, John Edwards, and now we're seeing Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's quite, a, quite a story, isn't he? So, so Scarborough's laughing. I want to know what's so funny because everything so far completely adds up. Oh, I'm sorry. Hunter Biden, who does crack in the back room of a strip club and impregnates a stripper. There's a whole lot of uh, I think you could call it bad judgment involved in these things. OK, putting it mildly. And again, I don't I don't like uh, going after somebody who's clearly. Clearly a casualty, man. I mean, this guy's got got problems, got a drug problem and everything else. But uh, this is where we are. I mean, they're holding up Joe Biden as some kind of paragon of virtue different from Trump, when in reality, Trump actually made his money in business. So did his family members and in media. Biden makes his money. The Bidens make their money by selling access to public office through the person of Joe Biden. That's what we're seeing. That's what's actually playing out before us. So. Uh, people are laughing about the story and how, how fake it is. There's nothing fake that we've seen about this so far at all. What, what's fake? Hunter Biden left a laptop that uh, he wanted fixed. And he left it behind because he didn't care. Does anyone think that Hunter Biden has good information security protocols in place? Does anyone think that this guy who got kicked out of the Navy for uh, smoking some I don't know, crack or whatever it was, some kind of a drug, that he makes good judgment calls, that he understands how to keep himself out of trouble. No one believes that. So what part of Hunter Biden leaving behind his laptop beyond the 90 days, at which point it becomes the property of the place that has it? How does that not add up? No, it's completely credible. And in fact, you'll recall that it was really happenstance that led Hillary Clinton's email homebrew server. That wasn't supposed to come out. Right. That wasn't supposed to be a thing that anybody figured out. It goes into the Benghazi hearings and grabbing the emails. And all of a sudden it's like, wait a second. Who, what? Who, who's emailing? Where? What's this email address that comes up? And Hillary Clinton's homebrew server discovered by accident, by by sheer happenstance. And, and she almost got away with it. But I also want to I want to remind you of because you, you should tie these things together in your in your mind. Why did Hillary Clinton set up the homebrew server? Because she wanted to have control over her email record, her her you know, unclassified email record. It wasn't about sending classified to people or anything like that. It was about 
she wanted to make sure that she could pick and choose what emails would get would be part of the FOIA record of her time as secretary of state, because all it takes is one dumbass who doesn't understand. Don't, you know, say, so to speak, the quiet part out loud. In this case, it would be writing it where you say, hey, Hillary, you know, I'm representing, you know, the prince of uh, of Saudi Arabia. There's a lot of princes there, but, you know, prince so and so prince Mohammed bin something or other of Saudi Arabia. And, you know, we wrote that big check to you. Where's our meeting? All it, t- it doesn't even have to be illegal. It just has to be embarrassing. You know, oh, you mean the Clinton Foundation and the Clinton Global Initiative money that was being sent that dropped off a cliff when Hillary lost the election because all of a sudden charity doesn't matter as if we can't connect the dots here. That that money wasn't all just upfront bribery to Hillary, her her global charity, quote unquote, and her, her family and her brand. All it takes is one email that makes clear what we can all see. And now you got a real problem. That's why Hillary set up the homebrew server. Look at what we're seeing now with Hunter Biden. An email trail putting out there for everyone to see now. Now, he wasn't FOIA a bull because he wasn't in, in public office. But this is what Hillary was trying to avoid. All it takes is one email that says the scheme in writing. And then you have a really hard time saying, what do you mean we're peddling influence? There's no there's no influence peddling going on here. Now, the influence peddling is obvious. In fact, it could not be more clear. And that's where we are now. So here's what happened with uh, we, we talked yesterday about the Burisma situation. And there's messages that make clear Hunter was trying to set up a meeting and today. There's more stuff from The New York Post, which has the emails. You know, and for people who are pretending, do you, you know, Joe, I mean, what's his name? Uh, Joe Scarborough, you know, complete buffoon. He acts like this is such an, an implausible thing to be an October surprise at this point. Does anyone remember how it was that the Hillary email case got reopened right before the election by James Comey, no less? It was because Huma Abedin was also using a laptop that Anthony federal sex criminal Wiener was using and some of the Hillary emails were on the Wiener laptop. That's right. The Wiener laptop was a thing that influenced American political destiny. You know, you can't you can't count Wiener out. That's for sure. That guy was that guy somehow stayed uh, stayed relevant even by accident long after his political career was done. But so how is this not falling in line with exactly what we've seen in the past? Well, here's here's uh, today's New York Post story. And, you know, in a, in a fair world, I think these awards are I think awards are silly. I think trophies, you know, maybe for sporting events when you win the championship, it's kind of a nice visual for people. But, you know, come on, trophies, awards. Come on. Uh, but I would you know, if, if awards mattered, they should get a, a Pulitzer for the, the New York Post should for what they're breaking here. They certainly would if they were. Oh, we're going to get into all the excuses for why it's not real and the suppression techniques of, of big tech in, in a moment. But let's first look at what the news story today is. Um, oh, and, and the laptop that was dropped off. Joe Scarborough says that it's not plausible. This guy would just give it to Rudy Giuliani. Why not? People have come to me with information in the past that listen to me that that trust me. They've given me stuff. I've had confidential stuff that I've never run with that I've never used. But, and that was real. This happens all the time. This is I thought this was journalism. I'm not a journalist, but I thought that that's what we considered this. 
And the all of a sudden, the prohibition on stolen information, pretty much the biggest news stories that papers like The Washington Post, and The New York Times have ever done has been illegally obtained stolen information. Biggest news stories they've ever done. Now, all of a sudden, they have a problem with it. Now, all of a sudden, it's whoa, whoa, hold on. This stuff was hacked. It wasn't hacked. No. If you give somebody access to your computer, they've got access to your computer and the contents thereof. That's not hacking. That's you being a dumbass hunter. Sorry. Uh, this is very clear. But but let's go to the, this story, because I've always thought that the China connection was going to be a bigger problem for Hunter and for the whole Biden thing, even than what we've seen with Burisma, just because the, the, the money there, it's so much bigger. And China is a real concern. We've spent all this time because of the lib delusions around Russia. We spent all this time worried about what are we going to do about Russia? Russia is not a threat to the U.S. Russia is not, you know, they can be a problem on some foreign policy issues, but it's not a, not a long term challenge for us that we have to really be concerned about. It's certainly not a, a great power challenge anymore. China absolutely is. It's the only one. And so access peddling that involves anything Chinese government related, which means anything Chinese state enterprise related in the, in the business sector. That is a big national security uh, concern that does feel like policy u.s foreign policy up for sale here's the new york post story today hunter biden pursued lucrative deals involving china's largest private energy company including one that he said would be interesting for me and my family according to emails obtained by the post one email sent to biden on may 13 2017 with the subject line expectations included details of remuneration packages for six people involved in an unspecified business venture. Biden was identified as chair vice chair, depending on agreement with CEFC, an apparent reference to the former Shanghai-based conglomerate CEFC China Energy Company. His pay was pegged at 850, and the email also noted that Hunter has some office expectations he will elaborate. In addition... The email outlined a provisional agreement under which 80% of the equity or shares in the new company would be split equally among four people whose initials correspond to the sender and three recipients with H apparently referring to Biden. Uh, the deal also listed 10 Jim and 10 held by H for the big guy. Neither Jim nor the big guy was identified further. Oh, I'm just wondering. Does anybody want to take a guess at who H. Hunter refers to as the big guy? Because I'm going to tell you, I don't think it's Andre the Giant. R.I.P. I'm pretty sure I'm just going to put on my thinking cap for a moment. I'm pretty sure he's talking about daddy. Former vice president of the United States, the would be next president of the United States, if you believe all the polls out there right now and certainly what the Democrats desire. 10 for Jim, 10 held by the big guy. Uh, so 10 points, 10 percentage uh, points, it seems, of this deal. Uh, that could be a lot. Renumeration uh, packages. Um, let's see what we have here. We have 850 for Hunter, 500 for this guy, James. $850,000 salary 
is a lot of money. Who is paying Hunter Biden $850,000 for his role in some uh, in some pr- Chinese private equity deal? Someone who wants to buy access to the vice president. We're not idiots. We see exactly what's going on here. Why is Hunter flying on Air Force Two? This is the uh, adult child of the vice president going on trips with him to China. And it wasn't to take photos at the Great Wall and eat some good dib sum. That's not what was happening. There's so much here, friends. The media caught in yet another depraved lying session. They went to the mat for Hunter Biden. There's nothing here. Mm, yeah. Now we've got the emails. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Twitter has been under a little bit of fire for blocking tweets connected to this recent New York Post article um, about Hunter Biden's connections in Ukraine and Joe Biden's alleged involvement when he was vice president. Uh, What is your campaign response to this article? And do you think that Twitter is doing the right thing here? Well, look, um, I I think Twitter's response to the actual uh, uh, article itself uh, makes clear that these, uh, you know, purported allegations are false uh, and they're not true. Uh, and glad to, he- you know, to see, uh, you know, um, social media companies like Twitter taking responsibility to limit misinformation. Oh, I see. Now we have a sort of transitive property of disproving something, right? It's not that the Biden campaign is saying it's untrue. That was a Biden campaign spokesperson, Jamal Brown, saying that the New York Post article must be untrue because of Twitter's response to it. But that, that's fascinating because, one, why can't the Biden campaign unequivocally say it's false? We all know why. Look, if it's Russian disinformation, which is, I think, the disinformatia that's out there right now, right? In a sense, the disinformation is calling it disinformation. But if, it's, if that's the case, fine, prove it. Show me why. And then explain how the what the Russians got to this computer repair guy in Delaware. The story is entirely plausible, far more plausible than a scheme cooked up by the Clinton campaign, Christopher Steele and the dossier claiming an international conspiracy to steal the election using Russian intermediaries to hack information from the DNC on behalf of Trump. What? That's nutso stuff but that's what they said that's what the media all believed for years even as all the proof showed it was crap and we had a special counsel investigation that couldn't come up with anything looking to come up with whatever it could but they still cling to the narrative because it wasn't about the truth it was about what is useful what is useful here for the democrats and for the left but okay twitter let's let's look at twitter's response to all this let's take it let's take a gander at exactly how they tried to shut this stuff down because they keep changing the reason and that always tells you something about how strong any one reason is thanks for listening to the bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts potentially harmful content That was the primary way that people were either warned or shut down from uh, sharing on on Twitter. Potentially harmful conduct. It was fascinating to watch 
the social media giants that control perception and the flow of information more than any other companies in America, it was fascinating to watch them scramble to come up with justifications for exactly what had happened yesterday, which was effectively an all-out effort. I mean, really just boil this down to its essence. What you saw yesterday from both the mainstream media and the tech oligarchs, the social media ones, was an all-out effort to suppress an October surprise against Joe Biden that was probably going to hit with some force. I don't think as much as what we're seeing now because of the actions taken, but it just goes to show you the level of anxiety and desperation that the left and the Democrats feel at this point in time to make sure that somehow Joe Biden will win no matter what. Jack Dorsey, who has always seemed like something of a, uh, a strange, a strange fellow, and that's for sure. Uh, he said yesterday, quote, our communication around our actions on the New York Post article was not great and blocking URL sharing via tweet or DM with zero context as to why we're blocking is unacceptable. So now he's even saying this is the CEO of Twitter. Now he's even saying, hmm, yeah, that doesn't look good, does it? Why were they blocking this? Uh, well, he's trying to clean up the mess that his other mess cleaner uppers at Twitter had made. So first, the decision, let, let's go through this. The decision is made by people at Twitter as a company. Oh, my gosh, we got We got to shut this thing down. We got to We got to get rid of this thing. We can't have this Hunter Biden New York Post story getting shared all over our platform. Why? Well, they say it's because it's potentially harmful content. Oh, actually, no, they said that. But then they said it's because it violates a policy on hacked or stolen information. Oh, no. But then Facebook said it's because we need to have third party fact checkers check to see if this true, uh, if this is true. Um, OK, well, which is it? What's the real reason? Because when you go through these reasons, what evidence do they have this information was hacked or stolen? None. There's no evidence of that. They can come up with a theory, but you could do that anytime that somebody has an anonymous source or anytime that you have, you know, according to, you know, a source that this newspaper spoke to on the condition of anonymity. Maybe maybe that person has hacked information. I know, you know, you have no proof of it, but you can just say it. Shut it down. Shut it down. That's what they do. So they came up with so many different reasons, it seems, because they didn't have a single good one. And they were scrambling and they were desperate. Why so desperate? What's the problem? Well, we all understand why, right? But we have to work through this step by step to see the full scope of the dishonesty and the impact here, which is this is all about what's happened in a couple of weeks. And people that work at these social media companies, you have to remember, they are more left wing than the assistant editors at The New York Times and The Washington Post who are in their mid to late 20s, who make sure that everybody knows what their preferred pronouns are. Right. Mine are he, his, just so you know, uh, or he, him. I don't know. However they do it. Just in case. Uh, so the left wing ideological bent of places like Twitter and Facebook is even more powerful than what you have at places like The New York Times. The most left wing employees at the old newspapers, because there are still some people there that, you know, run things at the Times who really just 
you know, yeah, their their lifestyle lives, but they want to go out to the Hamptons and they're like fancy rich people and they want to be considered part of the cool kid table. There are radicals. I mean, there are are really self-styled revolutionaries who are either millennials or it's really more Gen Z these days who are low level employees at these places who everyone is in fear of. And at places like Twitter and Facebook, they run the place. They run the place. There is nothing too left wing. There is no gender theory too convoluted. No socialist claptrap too absurd for the employees of Facebook and Twitter to say, that sounds great. Let's let's make that official policy inside our institutions. Now, I know there will be arguments and there'll even be some conservatives who say, but hold on a second. These are private companies. A lot of private companies out there. This goes back to what I was saying about free trade, right? Well, trade's never really free. So you got to look at how free it is, where it's free, and you got to make adjustments. There are a lot of uh, media platforms out there with all kinds of constraints and liabilities. And, you know, there's a Federal Communication Commission, the FCC. And there's the FEC, the Federal Election Commission. And these two, these two federal bodies weigh in on free speech. Now, I think we should probably get rid of them, but that's a whole other conversation. Why should Twitter and Facebook be exempt from these things, have special carve outs, not liable for what they publish, not constrained, but can direct in the aggregate using algorithms what ideas, what thoughts, what articles are published? So in a sense, they're like the editors of the whole Internet. Instead of just being the editor of a newspaper, the Facebook and Twitter uh, and Google algorithms are editing the Internet for you every day. And we allow them a free hand. Seems like a seems like a pretty bad idea to me. Seems like a losing proposition to me. But here's what Twitter safety. <laughs> That's so classic. It, Orwellian does come to mind with a lot of this. We want to provide much needed clarity. Around the actions we've taken with respect to two New York Post articles. First tweeted this morning This is from yesterday. The images contained in the articles This is official Twitter explanation here, folks. The images contained in the articles include personal and private information like email addresses and phone numbers, which violate our rules. As noted this morning, we also currently view materials included in the articles as violations of our hacked materials policy. Uh, Okay. Um, Why is it hacked? And... The images contained in the articles include personal and private. So you're saying that the New York Post shared things recklessly? Is that the claim? That the the article uh, had things in it that put people, what, at risk? Is that what they're saying? Seems like a stretch. Commentary on or discussion about hacked materials, such as articles that cover them but do not include or link to the materials, aren't a violation. Our policy only covers links to the images or hacked material themselves. The policy established in 2018 prohibits the use of our service to distribute content obtained without authorization. We know we have more work to do to provide clarity in our, in our product. When we enforce our rules in this manner, we should provide additional blah, 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 Twitter safety, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Now let's just for a moment move beyond how, what they're saying does not really apply to this article. Wasn't hacked. I, what, what sensitive personal? Yeah. I mean, Hunter Biden with a crack pipe is kind of sensitive in a sense, but journalists will publish that sort of thing all the time. He's a public figure in the middle of a public controversy. This is reality. This is going to happen. 
Think for a second, folks. Do you think that Twitter would censor a photo of Donald Trump Jr. or Eric, uh, Eric Trump with a crack pipe? Do you, do you think that would happen for one second? No, of course not. We all know the same way that somehow we all understand that if you go to a BLM protest and say something people don't like, they're probably going to be violent and hurt you. But the violence is on the right. We all know that, though. It's dangerous to go to a left wing protest and say things they don't like. You show up at a conservative protest and say whatever you want. No one cares. Happens all the time. Counter protests show up all the time. Uh, the same way we know that, we also know that if if Donald Trump Jr. Uh, had a, a child with a stripper and then denied paternity, right, wouldn't wouldn't uh, wouldn't send uh, paternity money to help with the baby and was selling influence to his dad and taking photos of himself with a crack pipe. Uh, I think they would cover that story. Now, Donald Trump Jr. obviously has done none of those things, but I'm just using this as a comparison. Why is that? Uh, we all know why. The bias is glaring. It's enormous. It's unavoidable. You see it all over the place. But then there's another question I have. So why is, uh, if the problem here is preventing the sharing of, let's say, even unverified or untrue information, what the heck happened with the Steele dossier and all the Russia collusion stuff? How did that get past all these journo firewalls of truth? How did that get in there? Was that ever unshared on social media? Was that was there ever a directive that this stuff is not allowed to continue to be on our platform because it's crap? It's a lie. No, there wasn't. I just think that's noteworthy. I think that we should all pay attention to exactly what's going on there, because, my friends, we see this. Uh, we see this constantly and we're told we're not supposed to care. But as Glenn Greenwald put it, look carefully at what Twitter is saying to justify censoring the Biden story. If applied consistently, it would mean that some of history's most consequential journalism, the Pentagon Papers, WikiLeaks war logs, Snowden docs, Panama, Panama Papers, our Brazil archive would be banned. Uh, OK, it's true, isn't it? We all know it's true. And yet. We're supposed to pretend like we don't know what we know. That's the that's the game the media plays. That's what they're trying to convince you of. Uh, and Twitter has been locking accounts of people that share this information. So keep that. up. It's not just the New York Post story. They locked the account of Kayleigh McEnany, the White House press secretary. This is a Soviet style communication information blackout. For reasons of political control, that is what this country has been through. We have never seen anything like this before. It has never been this blatant. It has never been this consequential, this widespread. This is right before an election. Libs liked electorates on dark money, and they wanted to stop people from making anti-Hillary documentaries before an election because the First Amendment shouldn't apply to people who are conservative. But then this happens. How can you ever trust the social media companies again? You can't. You can't. They have broken their pact with the American people that they will operate as neutral, politically neutral platforms for people to share their thoughts and speech and ideas. No, they are effectively subsidiaries of the DNC. 
Now, you'd say, Buck, but, you know, why well, wouldn't they shut down all Republican things and all? Well, that wouldn't be very effective, would it? That would cut out how much of their business model that would hurt their bottom line by a lot. They don't need to do that. I often say this. You don't na- you don't need to burn down every village to make a point to the villagers. Sometimes you just have to burn down one at the right time in the right place and everybody else falls in line. This story is being suppressed because the left is panicked about what it will do for a very close presidential election. This is the kind of interference that can actually throw an election one way or the other. It's being done dishonestly. It's being done under false pretenses. And the mainstream media and the tech giants are all over it. This is what we found out. And I think we're going to see it even gets worse. Because the Hunter Biden stories are going to keep coming. Can you imagine they've got access? It's like they found Hillary's laptop. Remember, say what you will about Hillary. Hello! I'm back. Say what you will about Hillary Clinton. She understood. You got to use bleach bit. You got to smash those phones with a hammer. I mean, come on, Hunter. This is JV stuff, buddy. You're going to run an international criminal corruption conspiracy like this. You, you got to destroy the evidence. There, Hillary somewhere is, you know, big glass of uh, of Pinot Noir in her hand. Kind of. Oh, Hunter. We talked about this, Hunter. Come on, buddy. Got to do better. Then you got to line your pockets because daddy's the vice president. You got to make sure you destroy the evidence. What is this? This is uh, this is a rookie mistake. This is a rookie mistake indeed. If you're going to be trying to pocket as much money as you can because your dad is supposed to be a representative of the American people, it's really grotesque, isn't it? The whole thing. Uh, so many Democrats become incredibly wealthy while just maintaining public office their whole lives. Maybe there should be a little bit more of a look into this. How exactly are they doing this? Who is giving them money? You know, we want to make this public service. Eh, maybe you, you shouldn't be able to cash in on being the vice president afterwards. So then you can run for president later, because guess what? That's an enormous open door for influence peddling and the corruption that we've already seen. Hillary Clinton did this. Joe Biden did this. We have other ethics regulations in place for people. You know, now we've changed for lobbyists and there, there are these considerations that are put out there. And yet we're told that it should be normal for somebody to be able to be in public office and then step out into private life and accept money from whomever they want for whatever they want and then run for office again Uh and, and, and to pretend that what they're doing is either charity or it's what the market will bear. Yeah, it's what the market will bear. That's what drug dealers can say, too. It's what the market will bear. It doesn't mean that necessarily it should be legal or accepted. But we're just seeing the beginning of the Biden crime family. Stay tuned. And no matter what they do on Facebook and Twitter, the good news is, friends, you can still listen to it all right here. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Just one more thing on this, because uh, the, the it's Russian disinformation seems to be the uh, preferred way to try to, you know, throw throw cold water on this story right now. Think that one through with me for a second. So it's the GRU or the SVR, the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service, their version of our CIA uh, managed to get a laptop that looked exactly like and dropped off by someone who looked like Hunter Biden, full of Hunter Biden stuff. 
to a guy in Delaware who didn't think anything was suspicious and then gave it to Rudy Giuliani? Really? That that's the story we're going to... I just want to... How, how could this be Russian disinformation exactly? Uh, what, what would be the explanation for that? How does that line up? But they won't... That's the point. They shut it down just by making the accusation. That, that gives people a little, a little place in their brain of safety. All the libs who believe things that are not true about this, they can go, oh, it's Russian disinformation. No, that doesn't make any sense. If it is, well, then sure, prove it, show it to me. I'm, I'm happy to think that. And isn't it fascinating that somehow the Steele dossier, which ru- was Russian disinformation, managed to get through this dragnet of serious journalism, managed to get through the, all the uh, constraints put on sharing false information on social media. This is what this is what we're talking about, friends. They have an enormous advantage in these realms, which is why they are able to win elections and do as well as they do with having lunatic uh, socialists who are deeply unimpressive people running for office all the time. I mean, if you control what can be said, you can control what people think. If you can control what can be shared, you will have enormous influence on the, the individual perception that everybody has of the world around them. That is what we're up against. I mean, this is the critical fight. You lose this one, you lose all the political battles, too, because it's all downstream, all downstream from information sharing and information uh, information analysis. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you as mad as everybody else is that NBC is doing a town hall with President Trump tomorrow? <laughs> Instead of the debate at the same time that Vice President Biden's going to be on ABC. Uh, I'm not touching that. <laughs> that is that is. Well, let me let me ask you. Let me ask you a d- different angle. Yeah. Yeah. Should the networks refuse to give the president other opportunities for airtime if he's the one who well, refuses the chance to debate? I, you know, I'm not going to tell the networks what to do, but I'll tell you, I know who I'm going to be watching. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> wow, a lot of journalism going on there. It seems like she's really pressing her on serious questions. Like, I know MSNBC is as a, a wing of the DNC, and that's fine. At least they're a little more. There's a little bit more honesty about it than there is at CNN, which is living in a fantasy land. Uh, CNN is, is a delusional place, a dishonest and delusional place. But you got these town halls that are going to be happening to, happening tonight. Uh, you know, this is this is where we see once again, they have control over thing with ABC. It's going to be a long, boring commercial for the Joe Biden campaign. That will be the town hall. We've, we've had in the past problems with who they put forward even for these town halls. Oh, I'm an I'm a independent voter. No, you were already at a town hall. I think there was a guy that was already at a town hall before as a Democrat voter. And they, they picked the softball, the softball questions beforehand. This is all done with an eye to helping one side and hurting the other. And now Trump's going to appear on, on NBC. He's going to get a lot of, of, of questions that are like, why do you hate you know everybody? Why do you not care about all the deaths from COVID? Why are you the worst? Why are you a racist? I think Trump will handle it pretty well. But what's the point? What's the point? Also interesting that the narrative is that Trump won't debate Biden. No, Biden refuses to show up in a debate with Trump in person. I wouldn't do this either. 
virtual debate, the whole thing seems very weird. Uh, and it also feels like a concession to the panic purveyors of the Democrat Party, like these two guys. I mean, Trump is immune. He's good now. That's what the science tells us. Trump is, is able to be around anyone. He can shake hands with people. I mean, he still has to be concerned about the common flu, but, you know, so do we all. But if from now until Election Day, no chance this guy's getting reinfected. None. Or going to infect anybody else. So he's the safest person you could possibly find to debate. He's the safest. Why won't Biden be on stage with him? I, it doesn't seem clear at all. What's the problem? Well, we all know Biden doesn't want to be on stage with them because uh, they think that they're trying to protect the lead. You have to remember, the Democrats really believe that Biden's way ahead. They see these polls. They think that he's uh, going to be able to really crush Trump. And so they're just looking to, to keep that keep that front car status here as they go into the final lap of the race. And they don't want to give Trump an opportunity to, to really knock Biden on his butt. So that's why they're not doing an in-person debate. Town halls tonight. I, don't, I mean, I, I'll watch them because I do because because I, I love you all so much that I'm willing to sit through the most boring nonsense. Even the ACB hearings with Democrats going womp, 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 womp. Sounds like the uh, is it the mom in Charlie Brown or the teacher? Whatever. The womp, 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 womp. It's all Bruce adults. All adults. All yeah, adults. yeah. OK, that's what that's what the Democrats questioning Amy Coney Barrett starts to sound like after a while. So I sit through these things, though, so I know everything that's happening. I can bring you the best, most distilled, most uh, shiny and exciting analysis possible. Uh, so I'll watch these. Uh, I'll watch these town halls and we'll bring you uh, the breakdowns of what's most important from tomorrow. But it's just not the same, man. I want to debate. I want to see I want to see another round. I think that Trump would do better this time because there was a missed opportunity by by interrupting Biden at, at points where you needed to let Biden make a, make a jackass of himself. Trump bailed them out unintentionally a, a number of times. So I think Trump this time would make sure that he he held his punches when he needed to and let Biden kind of punch himself out. That would have been a, a much better way to go uh, on to. The status of COVID for a second. I, I feel like I'm kind of uh, an outlier here. I still think that the COVID uh, response and lockdowns is the single most important issue in the country. And I feel like the interest level around this compared to a, some other things going on is far lower than it should be. Uh, this is the story of 2020. It is the issue that determines where our economy is going, what freedoms we have, the role of government in our lives, and the role of government in a way that you can really feel. I mean, they're, they're setting up uh, in places now to find people to take money out of your pocket because you're not wearing a piece of uh, of cotton over your face. OK, seems like quite an infringement on uh, individual rights and liberties to me based on nothing, based on whim. There's no proof that this is a good idea outside. None. But they never talk about that. Uh, there's at least a promise from President Trump that there will not be, and I've told you he promised me personally this in the Oval Office, for whatever that's worth, that there will not be lockdowns. He's sticking with that. Play 20. We're not doing any more lockdowns, and uh, we're doing fine. Uh, we uh, had Florida. We had a spike, and the governor did a great job, DeSantis. And we had a spike in Arizona. The governor did a great job. Spike in Texas. Got, you know, it's, uh, they're down very low now. And we're not doing any shutdowns. No, we, we learned about the disease. Young people, 99.9%, right? They're in great shape. Strong immune systems. 
The younger, the better. It's hard to believe. But uh, yeah, like Baron, my son had it. He, it was like uh, he had it. It was gone. It was. Uh, we said, wow, that was quick. That's the case for 99.9% of people under the age of, uh, of 20. Comes and goes, no problem. Like a com- for if, you're, if you're 12 and you get this, it's like, a, for the most part, it's like a common cold. But people want to go into lockdowns again. Europe heading into a whole series. I see finally CNBC because they have to watch money and markets, so they got to report on this stuff. Europe is heading into a whole series of lockdowns, I've been telling you. Spain is having an explosion of cases. And uh, they're going to they're going to start, uh, you know, hiding again, have, telling people they have to stay home. You can't even see people from other households. There's all kinds of rules that are going to place. Italy is going into a severe lockdown again. And I keep saying, what is the point of this? What are they really trying to accomplish? They cannot stop the virus. They can delay the spread of the virus in some areas at enormous cost. They cannot stop the virus. We have learned this. We have seen this. It has played out before us. Uh, meanwhile, you have uh, Dr. Fauci. Uh-oh. The fauci Here we go. Dr. Fauci. He's back. And he thinks that the... Well, he, he was asked about the Great Barrington Declaration, which I think there's still such little media interest in. And I sit around saying, okay, so now we've got... We've got Thousands of scientists and doctors from some of the top institutions in the world who are saying lockdowns are bad. This is not rooted in science. This is fear and panic and it's disastrous. But people still say, listen to the scientists. What, like Fauci? Fauci strikes me as kind of a dumbass. This guy's been wrong and wrong and wrong. No insights here. Doesn't understand how to argue his point very well. Doesn't make the points very clearly. But here's how I mean, he just completely dismisses the Great Barrington Declaration. Play three. There's about 30 percent of the population has underlying conditions that make them more susceptible to getting the adverse uh, uh, events and outcomes of serious disease with COVID-19. If you just let things rip and let the infection go, no masks, crowd, it doesn't make any difference. That, quite frankly, George, is ridiculous because what that will do is that there will be so many people in the community that you can't shelter, that you can't protect who are going to get sick and get serious consequences. So this idea that we have the power to protect the vulnerable is total nonsense because history has shown that that's not the case. And, and if you talk to anybody who has any experience in epidemiology and infectious diseases, they will tell you that that is risky and you'll wind up with many more infections of vulnerable people, which will lead to hospitalizations and deaths. So I think that we just got to look Look that square in the eye and say it's nonsense. Or Dr. Fauci is a moron who has pushed for the most destructive policy, intentional policy of disease control in the history of the world, despite evidence, facts and science. He says, just just let it rip. Who's who's saying just let it rip? No one says that sick people shouldn't stay home. No one says the vulnerable shouldn't be protected, that there shouldn't be a real surge of resources to those with under. So. So we notice the notice the flaw here in, in this logic. First of all, he says nobody who knows epidemiology would say, well, actually, there are thousands of them, Dr. Fauci. 
who are saying it, thousands of them, from Harvard and Oxford, not government bureaucrats who have just been sitting on their ass being useless for 40 years. Go back and look at what Dr. Fauci used to say about HIV, and, and you'll, you'll realize, oh my gosh, hold on a second, what? Yeah, Dr. Fauci was one of these guys who, who thought that HIV was going to be effectively of the same degree of risk for everybody in the population. Yeah, not true, by the way. There's some very, there are some behaviors that are much higher risk than others. And if you're not a part of those high-risk behaviors, your chance of catching HIV is very, very low. But and people barely, I mean, people outside of the high-risk categories barely even think of HIV anymore, and in large part also because there's such better therapeutics and drugs now for it, too. But Fauci says nobody would say, and that's not true. And then he says, think about the logic here. We can't protect vulnerable groups, so let's treat the entire population of the united states as a vulnerable group well here's the issue with that fouch you still have first responders delivery people uh, grocery store workers hospital and you can't shut that down and so there's still ongoing risk and transmission that's just happening in the course of day-to-day life so all they're really doing is creating enormous cost to society, enormous cost to our freedoms and to the economy in the hopes that maybe they're elongating the duration of spread. But they're not shutting down spread. They're not making they're not making the kind of precautions that you would need to really prevent. And, and what he's saying is not even true. Governor Cuomo is now saying, well, yeah, we should be testing, uh, you know, nursing home employees before they come to work and we should have much str- more stringent. Yeah. That's called focus protection. But Fauci is never going to admit that he's wrong or think about what he's done. Think about all the suicides, all the untreated, undiagnosed cancer. Think about all the depression, all the alcoholism, all the, you know, massive weight gain, all these just health calamities that have occurred because Fauci encouraged the United States government and they listened to him. They took his advice. He encouraged the United States government to do something un precedented in the modern history of this country that had been looked at they had looked at numbers before they had looked at the pandemics and 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 tried to come to lessons learned in all of the literature including from the cdc until this year it was you can't do a lockdown it it probably won't work and it's catastrophic now it's if you if you won't do a lockdown you're a bad person not gonna not buying it sorry doesn't work and his mask obsession is just bizarre oh because if we're not wearing masks, uh, 85% of people that got this, according to the CDC in July, either always or almost always wore a mask. So all they're doing is making policies where people yell at other people and get annoyed and do a lot of virtue signaling. And they forget that, like all government policies, it's going to be highly imperfect in its application, poorly enforced, and largely garbage. That's what ends up happening. You know where they have a federal mask mandate? Spain. You know what they're doing this week in Spain? Locking the locking the entirety of Madrid and much of the rest of the country down. But wait, they have a fed outdoor mask mandates, too. They have a countrywide mandate. They have a countrywide mandate in France, too. Shutting down whole parts of France. Wait, but I thought if you had a mandate, then everybody would wear the mask and everything would be better. Hmm. Turns out it doesn't work that way. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
COVID palooza, right? I, that, that's what I saw. And, and I, I, you know, to Sarah's point, we know that Donald Trump is uh, the, the, the greatest um, source of, of misinformation in our country when it comes to, to COVID-19. And I think what was terrible was when he said he was immune to the disease. And the issue is oh that there God, is yes. no immunity. Scientists know that there is no immunity yet. They, 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 there's no evidence, science-based evidence for that. And I, and I think that what is so dangerous about him saying something like that is that people will then not wear their masks, not socially distance. And the care that this president got at one of the best hospitals, military hospitals in our country, would cost the average American $100,000. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's The View. The View talking about uh, misinformation, saying there is no immunity to this disease. That's obviously not true. They've done very specific studies. That's why people have antibodies. That's why people have something called T-cell immunity. Uh, but if you're going to get your high-level medical and scientific advice from Sonny Hostin, who is not even a C-minus level legal mind, uh, then you're probably also going to have very bad health outcomes. I just think it's funny that The View is doing a segment where they're talking about the president's misinformation and they're saying things that are are demonstrable, factual misinformation in the same sentence. No self, uh, no, no self awareness, no accountability, just blathering on with the nonsense. Where's Joy Behar? You know, I want to hear from Joy. I want to know, you know, you know what? Did she read something on WebMD? Was she on WebMD again reading about the COVID? You know, I hear it's really terrible for Republicans. Not really for Democrats, though, because we wear masks. You got to get it from Joy Behar. She'll, she'll tell you. It's, uh, it's a big thing. You know, there, there are some early stories today that a couple of people on Kamala Harris's staff, the vice presidential contender Harris, that her staff have tested positive for COVID-19. Just going to say this right now. If either of the Democrat candidates get it, two things will be true. One, we will wish for a very mild version of the virus and the speediest possible recovery. And two, they're going to have some explaining to do about the Trump got this because he's reckless. Uh, we know that's not true for the millions of people who have gotten this, but it's going to be especially problematic if one of the Democrat contenders in the last few weeks gets this. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Final day of the ACB hearings. ACB, it's easy as... Yeah, you know how the rest of it goes. Uh, so I think she's going to get through. That's pretty obvious. She's going to get through. They, they threw some last-minute uh, roadblocks up, some Senate roadblocks. And, and i got to tell you this, because, look, I, I thought that they were going to get so much crazier, and there must be something coming. Look what they did to Kavanaugh. And it wasn't just the women claiming sexual assault against Kavanaugh. There was a whole circus of lunatics at Capitol Hill. There was a guy in a, I know it's a family show, so I'll try to describe this gently, a guy showing up who was anti-Kavanaugh, who was dressed as a as a six foot tall prophylactic device. Right. I remember that. That was a thing. The women in the handmaid's tails costumes. I'm sure there was some of that, but there just wasn't 
that same atmosphere of frenzied insanity around Kavanaugh. And this is a far more consequential replacement, really, uh, because, I mean, RBG is as left wing. She's as left wing a a justice and as much of a legislator from the bench as you're going to find anywhere. That's that's RBG's. That was her legacy. Whereas uh, now you're, you're going to have this constitutionalist, this originalist. Uh, also amazing, just as an aside, how many people do not understand what originalism means? And, and the retweets that people will, will get for things like, you know, originalism means you can only own a musket and, you know, you could only write with a quill pen and you... And I'm talking about people who consider themselves public intellectuals, uh, public persons with platforms and followers. And oh, tons of Dan Rat. Oh, you know what? I got I got to find I can't I can't just speak about it in the abstract. Dan Rather is really important. He's really important in his own mind. But no, he is actually important because what he shows you is that in the old way, when the left could control when they could control the uh, the platforms and they could control the news industry entirely, basically, they could elevate somebody as as completely intellectually worthless as Dan Rather to the very height of the news business. Dan Rather, when I I was an intern at CBS Evening News with Dan Rather when I was 18 years old. True story. First time, first kind of news, I mean, a uh, office job I ever really had. And. I was there for six months, long time, but I was only there two or three days a week. And I just remember even at that age thinking this guy is really unimpressive and not very smart. And he was getting paid seven million dollars a year to read off of a teleprompter then. So not only was he a dumbass and a wildly overpaid one, it was apparent to me at 18 years old. Here we go. This is from this is from uh, from Wednesday. Dan Rather tweeting, if you want to be an originalist in law, you should go all the way cooking on a hearth, leeches for medicine, an old mule for transportation, or maybe you can recognize that the world changes. This is the most sophomoric, no, forget that, truly moronic thing that any person has written about the Amy Coney Barrett hearings yet. 207,000 likes this tweet got. Almost 50,000 retweets. So this was seen by and liked by hundreds of thousands, millions of people who are idiots. All Biden voters, by the way, this is all libs that are liking this stuff. They are they are truly uh, a, a, a group of ignoramuses clamoring for some kind of... Uh, consensus high five moment it's so dumb that it's hard to really put it's so dumb that it's really hard to put it into words uh this is like everybody clapping for a a design for a submarine with screen doors or something how how could anyone be so stupid that's not what originalism means so you know you'd think you'd think they could figure this out uh but they can't so i just wanted to point that out but okay why are they not freaking out more about Amy Coney Barrett, who is pretty much about to become the next uh, the next Supreme Court justice. Well, the reason that they're not freaking out about this even more is that I think they have completely and they've completely resigned themselves to packing the court. Doesn't really matter then. 
Okay, yeah, she'll be on the... Maybe it'll be a right-leaning court for a while, which it's not like that she comes on and can strike down previous decisions right away. It's not like she can say, okay, Roe is gone, and this is gone, and that is gone, and, you know, Obergfell is gone, and you just start throwing cases out. It's not how it works. First of all, she's only one vote, and second of all, she has to wait as she's had to explain in her free legal clinic for the idiot Democrats on the Judiciary Committee, she has to wait for a, a, a controversy... Uh, a legal contest to come before her and then is able to write one of nine opinions on it. But they figure, oh, we'll we'll just wait that out. And then the moment that we have control of the Congress, we will just pass a bill and we'll do it. We'll ram it through. And we have a Democrat president. He'll sign it or she'll sign it and we'll pack the court. So it won't even matter. And we'll just do it. You know, we'll put as many as we need, we'll put four lib justices on there. Just start an arms race in the Supreme Court. They'll do it. I am convinced they will do it. Look at the maniacal approach to getting Obamacare through without a single Republican vote. They didn't care. They were they were all in on it. Right? They they were able to hold the line on that one and stay with it all the way. So that's what I believe is calming them down in a sense now because they don't have any mechanism for stopping this they haven't been able to come up with one yet and i sit here and just feel like there's no way that these deranged libs aren't going to try to exact vengeance over this situation but they already know what it is and that's also why biden and kamala won't speak about this that's also why they refuse to answer the question and have allowed it to become a political liability for them. Because once it gets out there, people are going to realize, oh, no, that absolutely the court packing is absolutely the plan. That's what they're trying to do. But let's get to some of the uh, some of the dumbest things here that were said yesterday, today from the Barrett hearings. Uh, here we have uh, we have we have Kamala Harris, who is trying to get trying to trip up Amy Coney Barrett. And I I don't mean this in a mean way, but Amy Coney Barrett's a legal superstar. Kamala Harris went to a a law school at a UC University, California school that I had never heard of before. And I've heard of a lot of them. Uh, So and law school is very much based on your LSAT score. And that's pretty much it. So just or well, there's some other considerations, too. But we'll talk about that some other time. Uh, So. Here is how it went when Kamala went after her on climate change. Play seven, please. And um, do you accept that COVID-19 is infectious? Um, I I think, yes, I do accept that COVID-19 is infectious, that that's something of which I feel like, you know, we could say you take judicial notice of. It's an obvious fact. Yes. Do you accept that smoking causes cancer? I'm not sure exactly where you're going with this, but, you know, the, the notice that it's smoking just a question. The question is what it is. You can answer it if you believe. Um, yes or no. <laughs> Senator Harris, yes, every package of cigarettes warns that smoking causes cancer. And do you believe that climate change is happening and is threatening um, the air we breathe and the water we drink? Um, Senator, again, I was wondering where you were going with that. Um, you have asked me a series of questions like, that are completely uncontroversial, like whether COVID-19 is infectious, whether smoking causes cancer, and then trying to analogize that to eliciting an opinion on me that is a very contentious matter, opinion from me that is on a very contentious matter of public debate. And I will not do that. I will not 
express a view on a matter of public policy, especially one that is politically controversial because that's inconsistent with the judicial role, as I have explained. Thank you. Thank you, Judge Barrett. And, and you've made your point clear that you believe it's a debatable point. That's not her point. No, notice the notice the little cheap shot at the end from Kamala, who, look, it's just she's not a very smart lawyer, folks. I mean, she's very mediocre. We understand. We saw what happened in California and, you know, Willie Brown and the whole th- situation. We all understand that this is not somebody who's you know, lighting the legal world on fire before she became a, a senator. Right. I mean, you know, very kind of eh, very kind of, you know, middle rung prosecutor kind of stuff in uh, in San Francisco. And then somehow, oh, somehow elevated to state attorney general in the Senate. Uh, but no, that's not what she's saying. Uh, what, what, what she's saying is I can't weigh in on things that are going to be before the court. She had to say this a million times. It gets really tiresome after a while. But Democrats then try to use this to score points like, well, what do you mean you won't answer that? You must have an opinion on this. No, I'm just not sharing an opinion. Because, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They don't, they don't care. They were just going for it. Uh, you think it's a debatable proposition. Um, anyone who doesn't think that there are debatable propositions within the statement, uh, I believe in climate change, is an idiot. Because I believe in climate change then results in a whole series, an endless series, actually, of debates and conversations about, OK, how much climate change? How fast? What can we do about it? What cost are we willing to pay? How certain are we of different of different plans that we would take, even if we thought it was catastrophic? How certain are we the mitigation efforts for different plans would actually work? I mean, to think this would be like it's like saying, I, I, be, I believe in God. OK, that's a first step. Now, what is doctrine? What does that mean? What happens when you die? How, what should you do while you're alive? What is what is leading a meaningful life mean? What's your relationship with God like? I mean, I understand God. There's yes or no is, is an important thing, but it's not like that settles it. <laughs> there's a whole lot of stuff that comes after that. So, of course, there are going to be controversies. People have been killing each other for a long time about what kind of God they believe in or who is God. And, oh, you believe in climate change. Well, I'm using the God analogy because it's a religious belief. So to just say you believe. Yeah, OK, I believe. I mean, if you believe in God, but you don't really think that he influences life and doesn't care whether what we do and everything else, how much does that really matter? Yeah, there's a you take a, a, a deist point of view. Yeah, there's some God who created things and like now we're all just left and nothing matters. Deism turns into nihilism pretty quickly if you take that approach. But instead, what you have here from Kamala is just a little a little cheap shot at the end there against somebody who's been running circles around her for the entirety of these hearings. And Judge Barrett just kept saying the same thing. I'm not going to be drawn. Stop trying to get me into a policy debate. Play 10. Do you think it's wrong to separate children from their parents to deter immigrants from coming to the United States? Well, Senator Booker, that's been a matter of policy debate. And, you know, obviously that's a matter of hot political debate in which I can't express a view or be drawn into as a judge. So I I, I respect that a lot. But I think the underlying question is actually not hotly debated. And and just maybe I'll answer it, ask it one more time. Do you think it's wrong to separate a child from their parent? not for the safety of the child or parent, but to send a message. Uh, As a human being, do you believe that that's wrong? Well, Senator, I think you're trying to engage me on the administration's border separation policies, and I can't express a view on that. So I'm not expressing assent or dissent with the morality of that position. I just can't be drawn into a debate about the administration. 
But they keep asking the same question. They keep going over the same ground because they're trying to make a point about what they believe and unfairly impugning the impartiality, the legal, uh, the legal analysis of Amy Coney Barrett. And there's uh, the one person that you can count on. I'm a little I'm a little annoyed. Tucker said on his show earlier this week that Maisie Hirono was the dumbest person to have ever been a member of Congress. And I'm a little bit like he I feel like I've been one up because I've been saying for years that Maisie Hirono is the dumbest, the dumbest United States senator. And I've gotten people, oh, you can't say that. And No, I can. Actually, she is. But Tucker took it way further and said the dumbest person to have ever been elected to Congress. That's t- I don't know. I don't know. T-Money and I may have to have a, uh, uh, you know, a, a conversation about whether that's really. I, I know he's kidding and I'm kidding, too. But the dumbest ever is a big claim. Like the dumbest right now, I think, is a pretty that's clear. Uh, you have Maisie Hirono, though. Crazy Maisie. He, here she is making sure that everyone who's listening to what's going on here understands that the Democrats really do view the Supreme Court as a body meant to give Democrats what they want through legal uh, legal decisions that usurp the legislative branch's authority and write laws instead of interpreting them. Uh, here's Maisie just saying the quiet part out loud. Play 23. No, most Democrats think if she gets on that court, the ACA is done. The president thinks it. That's right. The president and thinks the Republicans, it, right? The, the Republicans know it, too, and uh, they just don't want to uh, admit it. And they're hiding it from the people, mm. their own people, that they're about to rush this person onto the court so she can be there November 10th to hear the ACA case, which, by the way, were, were, was brought by 12 Republican attorneys general. Mm-hmm. And the president is right in there. And so... Yes, they want somebody who will who will uh, turn back the ACA, destroy it. They've been wanting to do that for at least uh, 10 years. They voted 70 times in Congress to get rid of the ACA. So to say, oh, no, we're not doing that is please. What? You know, I just want to say, shut up. Yeah, she's really dumb. Shut up. (laughs) And she uh, does not know how. The law works, how the Supreme Court works. She, Hawaii, I, I really do. It's like as a state, I have a, I have a crush on Hawaii. It's such a beautiful place. But they gave us, they gave us Maisie Hirono, so nobody's, nobody's perfect, Hawaii. It's okay. We're still friends. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Under my leadership. We will have a safe and effective vaccine before the end of the year. We will swiftly defeat the China virus, end the pandemic, bring back our critical supply chains, and lift our economy to unprecedented new heights. If the left gains power, they will shut down the economy, close our schools, delay the vaccine, prolong the pandemic, and impose the most extreme policies in the history of our country. I think it's all true. That's what we're making a decision about it as a country in a couple of weeks. It's just flying by. I can't believe it. We're going to be, it's going to be election night before you know it. And it's going to feel like a, it could feel like a very different America, depending on how that whole thing goes. As you know, my prediction for this is that it will not be decided definitively on election night because the Democrats will claim that there are outstanding, uh, there are outstanding ballots, uh, mail-in ballots. And I think they don't care what the margins are. It doesn't matter. They'll just say, well, we can't know. 
we can't know how many people actually mailed them. So let's just and then they'll they'll try games and shenanigans there. Maybe that's why there hasn't been quite as much thrown at Amy Coney Barrett, because they're so busy trying to figure out how to steal the election and how to game the system. I thought that's a possibility. There's only so much mischief and evil the Democrat Party maybe can handle at any one time that they're capable of. So that may be dragging uh, that may be dragging down some of the efforts to destroy ACB, which have just been I mean, laughable thus far. And the Senate procedural blocks today were ridiculous, just wasting everyone's time. But it doesn't actually stop anything or do anything. Uh, and then there's this from Trump, too, that uh, play 22. The choice facing America is simple. It's the choice between historic prosperity under my pro-American policies or very crippling poverty and a steep depression under the radical left. And that's what you'll have is a depression. I will deliver optimism, opportunity and growth. They will deliver pessimism, stagnation, decline and very high taxes. Simply put, it's a choice between a socialist nightmare and the American dream. Indeed, it is well put by the president. We are in the last leg here, friends. Do your part and pray a little bit. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Yes, I know Facebook is a left-wing DNC ha- hack. I don't know. I couldn't think of really what to call it. But, you know, they're on, they're on the team left-wing. We get, but it's still useful for us. So we'll use what we can from their side for our side. We might as well, at least in the meantime, when we're trying to build out the next, the next uh, big platform for ourselves here. I'm, I'm trying. I'm, hey, I'm working with it. I, I'm in contact with, uh, with Dan Bongino. He's, he's pushing these things. Uh, I'm, I'm doing my part, not only bringing more young up and coming conservatives into this business whenever I can and helping them however I can, but also trying to help build platforms where they'll have a future in this. I wish that there were some other folks that were more interested in that, but, you know, who already have made a, a tremendous name for themselves and a ton of money in, in conservative media. Some of them are some of them. I'm, look, Dan is doing great. And I, and I really appreciate his efforts in this regard. But there are some others who you just think, come on, guys, it's about the future, right? It's about the future of this country. We need these platforms. So let's get to uh, the roll call here. Oh, and if, remember, you can send us messages on Instagram. Producer Mark, I got a very uh, an angry message on Instagram from someone in Denmark who oh, you wanted, saw me that. To, wanted me to know that uh, Denmark... Um, that Denmark sixth graders somehow have like seen or heard my show or maybe my social media and we're making jokes about it. And all I could think is this is awesome. People in Denmark see this. <laughs> Great. So Sign someone, so a teacher writes in to troll you and you're happy that just because people in Denmark see you. Yeah, totally. All right. I mean, there's it's a bunch a way of to Danish look at kids it. like, blurga, 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 book sexton, blurga, blurga, blurga. that's awesome. I don't care what they're saying. The fact that they're even seeing this stuff is fantastic. In uh, Denmark, for God's sakes, come I on. see you're being a glass half full kind of guy today. Yeah, you know what I mean? You know, I, hey, as long as the little Danes are walking around, there's probably a smart Dane who thinks for himself, you know, little um, 
little Sven Olaf. And little Sven Olaf is now wearing his little, like, I, don't, I was going to say lederhosen. That's a different country. Whatever they wear, his clogs, I guess that's Switzerland. Whatever they wear in Denmark, Danish stuff, Viking, a Viking outfit, I don't know. But he's going, and he's, you know, heading, heading down to his little Danish school, and he's like, I like the box sexton. He makes the smart points. Just like that. You know? Yeah, I'm sure that's happening. Absolutely. His friends would make fun of him. Little Sven Olaf. I'm telling you, he listens to the show. It's exciting. All right. And then there's the other ones that are not, you know, not not feeling my vibe so much over there. But that's cool. It is what it is. Uh, Brandy writes, hey, Buck, what do you think of all these polls saying Trump is behind Biden? I don't get it. Trump's got all the crowds and enthusiasm. Are the polls wrong? Is Trump going to win? Shields high. Oh, Brandy, I think Trump is going to win, but I don't know. I don't have a I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, I used to. We did a show together at Hill TV. No, bad joke, Buck. But, uh, you know, I don't I don't uh, I don't know about these polls. I just think they can't be right. But we'll f- look, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. And uh, the, the, uh, there's if you break it down by state, if you break it down by, um, you know, things like that, then then I think you re- recognize pretty quickly that uh, we're doing better than we think. We're doing we're doing better than we think um, based on the based on the polling. I know a lot of people write in about the polls, so keep that in mind. And I don't have a good answer for that. Rick writes, hey, Bucket producer Mark. I was listening to your podcast last night on iHeartRadio in Castle Rock, Colorado. When you got to roll call, you're answering a question of who should run after Trump should he win. Likely persons you suggested were Pence, Nikki Haley, and South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem. What do you think about Don Jr.? That would drive the left absolutely crazy. Uh, Rick, I like Don Jr. Um, he's obviously a, an asset to to his dad out on the campaign trail, and he shares a lot of his you know, his fiery approach to stuff. So that could definitely work. Now, as you know, I am a critic in general of nepotism and our obsession with dynastic politics in this country. But I'm going to make an exception for somebody. Look, I'll tell you this. If one of the Trump kids is going to run, I think Don Jr. is a very good choice. So I'll say that. And I think he would he would do a good job. Um, But look, dad's got to win first. He's got to win this one. He's got to win this round. So we'll see. Uh, Joel, ciao, bucko and producer Marco. I just want to say thank you for that nice little bit you did on Italians yesterday, especially for including the Sicilian lynching in there. A lot of people have never heard about that. You touched on the discrimination faced by Italians, which is all too true. But Sicilians and Southern Italians really got the worst because they were even looked down upon from the Northern Italians and that continued well into at least the mid-20th century. But it all worked out in the end with some hard work and perseverance. Over a couple of generations, we were able to weave ourselves into the fabric of America in just about every capacity. Your acknowledgement of that was much appreciated. Well, Joel, buongiorno. And uh, yeah, man, I, I, uh, I'm glad that you appreciated that we wove in some of the history there. And also, as for the uh, you know, Sicilians, the discrimination within countries, even among well, even even among people of the same nationality and and g- general ethnicity actually exists. People forget this. Uh, I know this from from friends of mine from the Indian subcontinent uh, who will tell you that within the and because the caste system made this very explicit. But lighter skinned Indians and people who are con- 
there they tended to look then this is of course looking at racism it's not everybody but they tended to look down upon people from the further uh further south who often were thought of thought of as as having darker now these are all people of of indian ethnicity but having darker skin there's there is intraracial racism in a sense if that makes sense um also true about some east asians and and uh, the way that they look down upon people from what we would think of as Southeast Asia, again, who are also Asian, but darker Asian, if that. And so within Sicily, yes, Northern Italians generally, and this is not always true, but Northern Italians tend to have, you know, lighter hair, a little bit lighter skin. I mean, Sicilians, because they're from basically right in the middle of the Mediterranean, can be a little bit uh, a little bit darker. That's the way that it, it, it's been thought about. Not always true. There's the Norman conquest of Sicily, which I like to talk about because it's such an interesting historical period uh, on their way to the Crusades. Messina in Sicily was really the, uh, the way station uh, to get people to um, uh, to the Crusades. So that's if you want to think of one of the great ports uh, for the uh, for the Crusades, it was, in fact, Sicily. I'm sorry. What was Messina on Sicily? And then there was the Norman. So the Vikings actually conquered Sicily. And all right, I, I'm getting a little too deep in that one, but you get the idea. But yeah, you get blonde-haired, blue-eyed Sicilians too. Is the point? Uh, Tom, I have a quick question. Why doesn't Trump start suing everybody who slanders him? Call him a white supremacist. Go to court. Call him a sexual assaulter. Go to court. I know the standard for liable for public figures is high. But I do believe he could prove intentional malice in a lot of these cases, even if he couldn't make these people pay for lawyers to defend themselves. It'd be a lot of the I bet a lot of the slander would stop. I know it would be expensive, but he can afford it. I'm not familiar with the election finance law, but he might even be able to get his campaign to pay for it. Just a thought. Shields high. Well, Tom, you've clearly thought this through a little bit because you've noted some of the impediments and they're big ones. They're big impediments for someone like Trump to sue over over slander or libel. Uh, because he is not just a public figure in many ways as the president, the most public figure that there is. Uh, you're I mean, the bar is, is almost insurmountable. Uh, you, you know, you'd have to, to say that you're proving inten- you're proving intentional malice. Think of a circumstance where you could even do that. And things like a, a white supremacist for a public figure, uh, they would say that that comes down to a matter of opinion, that to, to call someone a white supremacist. And they would point to comments that he's made. They say, see, that makes him a white supremacist. And now you're going to go to a jury and hope that a jury would, would rule in your favor. And you point out also that it's very expensive. And it is. And suing people is a very, you know, the moment you bring the lawyers into anything, you know, you better get ready for that second mortgage on your house. So lawyers are very expensive. Suing is very expensive. And remember that if you're going to if, if Trump is going to sue someone, Think of all the different entities, legal foundations, organizations that would run to that person and essentially pay their legal bills in that lawsuit against Trump just for either spite of Trump or for the headlines it would get them. Think of all the lawyers who would take that on pro bono fighting the Trump administration about whether Trump is a white supremacist. So it it just it turns into when you're getting dragged on Twitter and you wanted to start arguing, you're getting dragged unfairly. It's happened to me before. And you want to start telling everybody why they're wrong and why they're dumb. And it's really it's really like fighting a swarm of bees. How do you how do you fight a swarm of bees? The answer is you don't. 
you get away from the bees. You know, just you, you can't if you're going to sit there and try to squash each one, you're just going to waste a lot of energy and get stung a lot. That's really what it's like trying to deal with a Twitter swarm, by the way, when you're, they're all over you and they're saying, oh, you, you said this and you're so dumb and I hate you and you lied. And, you know, and you go, no, no, I did not lie, sir. I am a person of high ethics and intelligence. And I, you know, how many thousands of times do you want to write that out? The people go, oh, and your face is stupid. I hate your ugly hair. You know, that's 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 this is what that's what happens when you try to deal with a a Twitter troll assault from all from all corners. So it's better to just go, okay, you know, mute the thread or whatever and move on, move on to the next one. Uh, And that's what that's the truth about Trump with all these names and everything else. It's just not going to work, Tom. But I appreciate you thought it through. And thank you for bringing the question to my attention. Mark writes, hey, Buck, there was a contingent election of the House. Who would win? I know the Dems have a majority, but do we have a state majority? Love the show. Producer Mark is legit because we share a name. There you go, Producer Mark. I'll have to thank my parents for naming me Mark. Another satisfied Producer Mark customer. Just saying. Um, As for contingent election, I haven't actually done the math on it. So the way a contingent election works is that it no longer is the Electoral College aggregate votes where you know california has dozens of votes and smaller states have a few votes it turns into just the state and then it's uh 20 you know 26 of the of the 50 to win Uh, i believe that's how a contingent election works we haven't had one since the 1820s or 30s it's been a long time um i don't think it'll get to that point but you know these days, with politics where they are, with things going the way they do, friends, never say never. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Next up in roll call, uh, TJ. All right, Buck, I see that Trump is now in talks with NBC to have his own town hall event, which will be directly against Biden's town hall event uh, for the same time slot eight to nine thirty eastern again from the sounds of it neither moderator will be trump friendly with stephanopoulos on abc and savannah guthrie on nbc personally i don't like this move by trump because it hardly seems productive and now it will be nothing but each candidate's base turning into the respective network to boost ratings to determine who won the night trump really wants to blow things up he should just show the world that network tv is dead Take Newt Gingrich's advice, accept Joe Rogan's invitation for a three to four hour live interview. If Trump is looking for ratings, this would be gold and something that people would want to watch. Uh, TJ, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think that this uh, town hall thing is going to be pretty much a waste. I think that giving NBC and ABC these uh, kind of elite platform creds in a sense or ma- making it seem like they're still the important conversation uh, directors uh, in this country. I don't like that at all. I think NBC News and ABC News are a joke. Uh, they've got big legacy media platforms and corporate parents that uh, you know write the big checks for them. I think they're still revenue neutral, so it's like they're forced to just pay for themselves and that's it, so they're not even big money makers. I don't know if that's still the case, so don't quote me on that, but I think that's true. Uh, and as for, yeah, as for doing a Joe Rogan uh, debate, I think that's an excellent idea. I think that makes a lot of sense. Or not even Joe Rogan debate, Joe Rogan interview. The guy's curious. He likes to ask good questions. He's respectful of guests. It's fantastic. The only show that I want to do as a guest that I've, you know, that I really want to do as a guest that I've never done is Joe Rogan's show. That's the only one I can really think of. I mean, there are others, I'm sure, that would come to mind. But 
Um, that would be uh, very, very high on the list. Because, I, look, I, I there are very few people whose content in the podcast or radio world I will listen to. And he, I don't listen regularly because I don't have the time. But I've listened to some of his shows. I thought they've been very good. And even about things that I don't really care. I, I listened to a show he did a long time ago on, on MMA. And it was really interesting. And I don't watch a lot of, I don't dislike MMA. I don't really watch a lot of it. I don't know much about it. And that's sports. So that's why I've got Producer Mark. Right, Producer Mark? But you don't really watch MMA, do you? I'll watch like the big fights here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a much better product than it used to be uh, when they had guys who would just sort of wrestle around on the ground all the time in the early days. I remember I, I watched, it wasn't even called MMA. It was like uh, there was some like Japanese name for it. I forget what it was. But you could get it on pay-per-view for like 50 or 75 bucks. This is back in the 90s. And I definitely watched back then because I grew up, I watched so many martial arts movies from age 10 to 18. I mean, I, I went through a period there where I was, if there was a ninja movie, I was all about it. American Ninja, ridiculous movie. I mean, there's a ninja training facility with all these guys wearing crazy colored ninja suits. And have you ever seen a producer, Mark? It's ridiculous, but awesome. No, but I'm thinking you should go try out to be on a American Ninja Warrior. I'd actually that pay money be, to do that, to watch would, you do that. That would be comedy for people to watch. You know, it'd be like taking me out of my radio chair and like, yeah, go run up that wall. I'd be like, ooh, that looks like like a lot of pressure on the hammies. I don't know about that one. Oh, gosh. Oh, gee. Producer Mark, I got to stretch before I do that one. Yeah, not going to work for me. Uh, let's see here. Jack Buck. Maybe if there's no stimulus, these people who are in need will begin pushing back against the real problem governors like Cuomo, Murphy and Newsom, who are prolonging these uh, prolonging these lockdowns. American taxpayers must not bail out fiscally irresponsible states and cities. If these places go bankrupt, maybe finally their citizens will wake up and cast these bums out. Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake would be right at home today. Keep up the great work you're doing. Thank you so much, Jack. I always thought Jack is just like a super solid, cool name. Uh, Jack, great to, great to hear from you and thank you for your thoughts team. That's going to be the show for today. Please pass the buck this week. Be an early birthday and Christmas present for me. Get one person, you know, who has not listened to Buck Sexton show to try it on any of the podcast platforms out there. We're all over the place. Pass the buck to one, one person or 10 until next time. Shields high.